0: Ha 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 Good evening! You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 11, Episode 14. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, courtesy of author Weird Bryce Guy. Tonight you'll hear tales of mysterious figures, strange, bruised, devious doggies, and unfortunate forecasts. You're listening to the Standard Edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, It's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. This show's about to begin. (laughs) Imagine your favorite place to be. Go ahead, close your eyes, and imagine yourself there, strolling down the aisle, watching as the conveyor belt carries the victim towards the rotating knives. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I probably shouldn't talk about that stuff out loud. Well, sometimes our favorite places can hold secrets we're not aware of, and it's only by chance that we discover something we never noticed before. Without further ado, I present to you Blinding Light. there's a stretch of grassland past the woods near my house where i like to go and relax after a stressful day the low-lying grass looks really cool when the wind sweeps through it and the whole area is very serene and calming especially at night since there aren't any trees to block the moonlight i usually go and lie there for an hour or two listening to the breeze and the animals and just decompressing well after a particularly grueling ten-hour shift at work, I'd asked for it, admittedly, taking the shift of another co-worker. I went there today, only this time I found something strange. Something I wouldn't have been able to explain had there not been a handy explanation provided for it. It was a small journal bound in black leather, but most of its surface was covered by a white goo that somehow glowed. Additionally, there were the small, mashed, or trampled bodies of what looked like demonic bugs lying all around the journal, all of which were as white as the goo. I've never in my life seen any bugs like those, and something about them, even crushed and smooshed as they were, made me feel deeply uncomfortable, unsafe even. Going back to the journal, the first few pages consisted of short poems, And seeing as how I've neither read nor written any serious poetry, I can't say whether or not they're any good. But about 40 pages in, a story begins. And it's this that I've transcribed to share. I'm not a writer. I couldn't hope to give a proper synopsis of its events. So I'll share the whole thing here, with the only omission being a poem near its end. And I'll explain my reasons for leaving it out now when it appears in the narrative. The story. I'm not exactly sure what to do now. I figure I have maybe 45 minutes or an hour before I'm overtaken. So until then, I guess I'll tell my story. I don't have any friends or family. Not anyone significant. So there's no one I can call. No one with whom I could speak to for comfort or closure. So, I'll just write. I guess you could call it fate that I had. At the very last moment, it decided to bring my notebook with me. Earlier, around 8 a.m. this morning, I'd been lying in bed thinking of what to do on my unplanned day off. I'd been asked to swap shifts with another co-worker and generously agreed when I received a notification on my phone from a community social app I hadn't used in a while. The notification informed me about a concert in the area, free and open to all attendees, pending any capacity restraints. I figured I would attend, having nothing else better to do, and prepared to head out. While walking to the front door of my apartment, I had the sudden idea to bring my notebook to write. In case I arrived early, or if the concert wrapped up before I'd grown tired of being out. I had, unsuccessfully, I'll admit, been trying to write and publish poetry and prose poems for the last few weeks. I'd bought a small and inexpensive leather notebook for such purpose and fetched it from my bedside table to bring along with me. The concert, announced to be held at a nearby park, within walking distance, even had not yet started. The stage crew and band members were still setting up the makeshift venue in the public events section of the sprawling park grounds. I wandered around for a while, trying both to draw inspiration from nature and get some much needed exercise. In my endeavors to become something of a poet, I'd grown fairly weak, apathetically sedentary, not to say that there's any correlation between the poetry and physical and fitness, but only that I hadn't done much beyond read and write within my dingy little apartment for the preceding few months. Finally, the concert started, and I found a nice spot from which to view and listen to the performances. The bands were mostly indie rock and folk, and the attendees were representative of what I would have imagined the average fan of that music to look like. Despite not really being into that music or scene, I found myself enjoying the concert and feeling, for the first time in a while, content with life, simply but deeply entertained. I spoke to no one, having nothing in common beyond a presence at the event, but smiled and waved and politely stood by many people as the moderately populated crowd continuously shifted to the comings and goings of attendees. Overall, it was a fun much-needed experience, and although I didn't do anything in the way of socializing, I nonetheless felt that I'd grown a little closer to my community. When the concert ended and I'd drifted away from the lawn, I realized that I didn't want to return home. I wanted instead to spend a little more time outside, although my desire to be around people had, by this point, waned considerably. So, being in a public park with no curfew, I decided to wander deeper into the less populated areas and write, if possible, by the soft light of the dawning moon. Almost giddy from a sudden excitement at being out among nature at night, I followed the main path that wound throughout the park until I came to the simply fenced area where it ended, though the signage and map trails continued. Staying along this course, I ventured farther until the trees hulking and broadly bowed, resembled little the artificially planted and carefully maintained vegetation of the former grounds. I hadn't known beforehand that the park actually bled into a proper woodland area, but quickly surmised this when I began to see, but mostly here, the activity of wild nocturnal animals as they began their inverted days. Strangely, my excitement began to steadily diminish, and I felt in its place the glacial dawning of a vague anxiety, as if I, on some instinctual or unconscious level, sensed an impending threat. There was no course left to follow, only the seemingly untrodden floor of the woods, littered with fallen leaves, branches, rocks, and the still steaming waste of newly arisen animals. Still, there was nothing in the way of a tangible threat. No signs or evidence of a prowling predator, or any natural hazard of some kind. Lacking these clear indicators of trouble, and wanting to continue on, I ignored the source anxiety, and allowed the lunar light to guide me deeper into the woods. I eventually reached a sort of a hill, down from which ran a rocky declivity, and at the base of which was a broad swath of grass, a plain or massive lawn, so openly moonlit that it appeared almost white from my elevated position. I figured here was as good as a place as any to stop, with a full of the moon's light upon the small knoll as well. Settling beneath the umbrage of a nearby tree, but not so much that I was completely shaded, I pulled out my notebook and began composing a few lines. Nothing significant or worth mentioning here. Just a few mundane verses that captured the overall setting and my feelings about it. I must have dozed off because my attention was suddenly drawn to my left toward that multi-acred field, though now it was mostly dark, the moon having moved elsewhere. For a moment I wondered at how I could have fallen asleep since I'd been fairly focused on writing. But looking down at my notebook, ignoring, for the moment, the sleep, the spelling allure in the field, I saw that the last verse I'd written ended in a long, haphazardly drawn line, as if I'd literally fallen asleep in the middle of writing. Figuring that the concert had simply tired me out more than I expected, I accepted the strange, though not incomprehensible, possibility and returned my focus to the field. couldn't see anything. The moon's light now completely gone from it. But I sensed with doubtless certainty the presence of something or someone there in the field near the base of the hill on which I was seated. And again, with the same abruptness and vagueness of reason, that ominous anxiety came to me and a chill swept through my body as if I'd entered a walk-in freezer. The animal part of my being screamed at me to run away to get up and sprint headlong into the woods, an area towards which the moon had also gone. But another part of me, that often damning human and intellectual aspect, argued that I should stay and find out what it was that was making me feel so uneasy. And, like an idiot, I listened to the latter impulse and remained, telling myself as further justification. That nothing truly terrible could be found in some Midwestern grove, not far from a major residential area.
1: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
0: I swear to you that up to the moment of the figure's emergence, I'd watched that field like a hawk, observed it with all the attention and focus of a panicked astronomer charting the cataclysmic promising passage of a celestial body. And yet the veiled entity appeared so suddenly that I actually reeled back, shocked as I was by it. One moment there'd been nothing but the dark, knee-high grass, and the next, a sublimely white figure, its face inscrutably veiled, and its body cloaked in an equally white dress. And the whiteness of its garments was, for a reason I couldn't then understand, unnerving. I found it weirdly and indescribably offensive to not just the senses, but my human sensibilities. It was inappropriately, disconcertingly white, almost self-illumined, as if the delicate fabric naturally or artificially emitted a glow of its own. As it drew closer, I realized with a sort of horror-laden incredulity that the shadows around it seemed to be pushed back by the luster of its clothing, Not as darkness is dispelled by light, but as a sentient thing might consciously recoil from something inimical to its being. It's a strange thing to suggest, I know, but that's the best way that I can describe the bizarre visual effect of its approach. Upon reaching the base of the hill, the figure did something truly unexpected and especially unsettling. Rather than lift its legs to accommodate the hike, would have had to undertake, it instead began to slide up the hill. The action reminded me of a doll or toy with tiny wheels embedded in its otherwise immovable feet so that it could slide across surfaces in an approximation of movement. This figure was no doll, and though its legs remained straight, there was still an undeniable impression of life in its form. "'I was paralyzed by the unreality of it. "'Meanwhile, my anxiety had flourished into actual dread. "'I knew that this thing, this person, veiled and dressed so whitely, "'had been the source of the feeling all along. "'Silently, they reached the summit of the hill, "'coming to stand on its surface with a smoothness of motion "'that only served to intensify my terror. "'There's nothing horrific or even unwholesome about their appearance.' aside from the radiance of white. The dress was clean and well-fitted, but obviously old. I'd never worn one myself, but I was confident that it wasn't something you'd find in any modern dress shop or clothing store. It was obvious that they'd ascended the hill for me, and yet I hoped that somehow I'd go unseen by the figure, immersed as I was in the shadow of the looming tree like a battered ship finally dashed against the crags of some unwelcoming shore. My hopes were annihilated when the figure turned to me and took a step forward. But that's all they took, a single step. And in that step, they crossed the ten or so feet that had separated us. In an instant, they appeared immediately before me, looking down at me, towering over me like a white-cloaked colossus, My fear-induced paralysis was relieved by a fraction, allowing me to tremble from the sheer extremity of my terror. Though I couldn't see their face, I somehow intuited that the figure was smiling and that this smile was not, in any conceivable way, benevolent. I kept a plurality regarding the pronouns thus far because up until that moment, I hadn't been able to tell whether or not they were male or female. Dress would obviously suggest the latter, and yet all throughout their uncannily traveled journey from the field to me, there'd been a suggestion of androgyny in their movement and stature, as if the figure had waited to come close to me to reveal its true anatomical form, or a form it thought I would find alluring. Regardless, when it bent down to bring its impenetrably veiled face level with my own, I saw that it was a woman having the expected attributes thereof. And while I couldn't see the figure's face, I felt an almost palpable impression of age, an emanation of accumulated cycles, all of which I suspected had been spent in some deeply buried and airless tomb. Not necessarily a stench or musk, but a difference in personal atmosphere. And this sense of agedness caused me to feel a little less alarmed, induced in me a small calmness. I still felt dread of the unreality of the circumstances and the unshakable idea that the woman's unseen smile was in some way devilish. But even if I'd been able to move, I probably wouldn't have fled. For a while, she simply stared, and my mind struggled to reconcile its terror with the ever-mounting sensation of calmness. Eventually, the latter won, and a potent drowsiness overcame me. The rigidity of my body lessened, and I relaxed against the trunk of the tree. The figure, as if expecting or having desired this, then leaned back, standing or appearing to stand a little taller than before. From my perspective, she was no shorter than the trees around us, standing like an ivory or marmorial statue reared in honor of some legend, shoulder to shoulder with the tallest of trees. The impression was no less dizzying than terrifying, and I quickly came to hope that the drowsy feeling would soon induce sleep, just so I wouldn't have to stare at the brilliant white titan though my wish was not granted, and I was instead kept on the very edge of consciousness while horrors, unparalleled, were revealed to me from one after another. Up to that point, if you'd told me that the veil was irremovably affixed to her face or had naturally grown from it, I would have believed you. There simply had not been even the slightest shift in the fabric of it. But then, in a single, almost dainty flicked backward of the head. The veil was thrown off and the facial area finally revealed. I say facial area because there was no face. Neither was there a void-light pocket of darkness. I would have greatly preferred that to what was actually there. Where her face should have been, there was instead a pulsing hive of tiny white insects, thousands of almost microscopically small organisms packed together in a sickeningly animate ball. More than the dress or the veil that had covered them, the insects glowed with a horrid whiteness, gave off a luster that suggested the blank, maddening nihility of uncreation. They made no noises of their own, but the movement of their slimy, writhing bodies resounded wetly against the natural ambience of the woods. Still, rearing over me like a mythic giant, she raised one of her hands, whitely gloved or just deeply pallid, I couldn't tell, and plucked a handful of the insects from her face. Then, in a gesture that was both casual, yet obviously malintentioned, she tossed the collection of writhing insects at me. I don't remember feeling their impact. I only remember seeing, for a fraction of a second, the face of one of those awful insects as it neared my eyeball and in its hideous pincher-appointed and multi-eyed face I saw the purest intentions of evil a visage filled with humanly achievable degree of hate and then just as whiteness had filled all of my sight darkness washed over me and I was mercifully plunged into the black oblivion of unconsciousness I awoke abruptly, completely, standing at the edge of the hill, staring out over that far-stretching field. It felt as if I'd been watching something, or observing the departure of someone. The events of before then returned to me, and I spun around, dreading to see the woman in white and her face frothing with pests. But there were only trees. I glanced back at the field, but felt that there was nothing left to be seen there that whatever I'd been watching in an apparently somnambulistic state it had already gone. For a moment, a small relief came to me, and with it the idea that I'd simply dreamt the entire nightmarish experience. But before I could savor this feeling for even a few moments, my hand started to itch, and looking down, I saw that it was coated in a glimmering white substance. And in my hand was my notebook, its black leather almost completely smeared with white stuff. Trembling, having a terrible idea of what the luminous goo was, I raised the book and opened it. Inside I saw the white-smeared pages of old verses, the middling lyrics blotted out by the ectoplasmic white. Turning the pages, though not really sure why, I finally came to the most recent entry and almost dropped the notebook in shock. Where before it had blotted and smeared, the white goo had instead been used as ink on the latest page. The script, written finely on the page, was given discernible contrast against the whiteness of the background by its uncanny luster. It was a poem. Had it not been my handwriting, I would have attributed it to some deranged, yet masterful poet. A historically unrecognized sage of dark rhyme and verse was unlike anything I had ever read before. I felt both amazement and horror at the stark beauty of its composition and the eldritch content of the lyrics. Finder's note. The author then writes the poem here, but I can't bring myself to transcribe it. As he mentions, it's very well written, beautiful in a way that I don't have the vocabulary to convey, but it's also horrifying. It tells a story, or maybe a prophecy, of evil things to come, or things that have already happened somewhere. Regardless, I'm not writing those lines here. I don't want them on my screen. I'm sorry. It's horrific, obscene, yet lovely, isn't it? The work of a lyricist who couldn't have been born anywhere but the Tartarian depths, a pre-human underworld or on some lightless, hopeless sphere in deep space where life had already been dawned, thrived, and died. Only an environment of ever present gloom and endlessly recurrent despair could have inspired such oppressive verses. And somehow, I'd written it. My handwriting flung those wonderfully baleful words at me from the ink-soiled pages. As I marveled, I sensed in the back of my mind what I initially thought to be the retrograde return of the moon. Prying my eyes from the pages, I saw that the moon had not receded from its woodward path, but that my vision was with almost imperceptible slowness, being clouded by white. This glaucomatous effect was terrifying at first, but my brain soon connected it with the whiteness upon its pages. And as weird as it sounds, this revelation served to calm me. I soon after arrived at the assumption that I would, at the completion of the visual awakening, find myself within the dreadful, calamity stricken world described in the profane poem. And while this probably would have inspired the most soul chilling despair in anyone else, I felt an excitement that bordered on lunacy at the prospect. To see with my own white, blessed eyes, The full enormities of horror, decay, and ghoulishness detailed so artfully in the poem was beyond tantalizing. I needed that experience, found myself craving it powerfully, and to await its advent to keep my mind from unraveling in the interim, I decided to relate my story. It's happening. It's almost finished. The usurpation of my vision by the ultimate whiteness is almost complete. It's overtaking me, or I'm being transported, atom by atom, to that awful otherwhere. Oh my god. It's breathtaking. The writing ends there. I don't know what to say. Don't know what words I could possibly offer as closure to their story. I don't think a eulogy would... Not just because I never knew them, but because I don't think they're dead. They may be to this world, but I have a feeling they're very much alive in another. I hope you enjoyed Blinding Light by Weird Bryce Guy, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support him by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash weird-bryce-guy That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash w-e-i-r-d dash b-r-y-c-e dash g-u-y He's not on no sleep. Well, then we're not quite sure where he is. Maybe you could try checking out his collection of stories, available on Amazon, entitled The First Step Toward Nightmare. If you do decide to stop by the profile, please leave him a kind word and let him know you heard about him here on this show and that me, Otis Gyrie, sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. Always the way. Just enjoying yourself out in the middle of the woods and all of a sudden, some insect-infested humanoid shows you the gateway to some world undreamed of. Or they just take your wallet and leave you to hitchhike home. But if you're feeling a little sleepy, like our friend in the last story, maybe what you need is a nice pick-me-up. Well, if my stories aren't doing it for you, maybe a nice warm cup of Joe will be just the thing. But if you don't take it straight, I guess how much you enjoy it depends on what you put in it. And in our next story, the co-worker's coffee becomes the spot for a most unusual recipe. Without further ado, I present to you Dark Roast. had to figure it out. At first, it was amusing to watch. And then it became puzzling. And then aggravating. Every day, I watched my co-worker take a sip from his coffee mug. The same ivory, obviously handcrafted coffee mug. He'd take a sizable sip, grimace, for at least three to four seconds. And then take another sip after his face had relaxed. He'd repeat this behavior two or three times, then set the mug down and resume his work. Later, perhaps an hour or two, he'd conduct the little ritual again. The intensity of the grimacing never intensifying, but not waning either. Like anyone else, my initial thought was that he simply well, had to have a hefty dose of alcohol to the and was grimacing at the strength of the booze or the overall taste of the concoction. And like someone who knows how to mind their own business, I never asked him. never confronted this person who might genuinely need a little extra in his cup to get through the mind-breaking mundanity of our job. But I'm still a curious person, and couldn't simply let this assumption ride completely unconfirmed especially not since he'd do this every single day. I've never personally known an alcoholic, but his productivity and the quality of his work were not reflective of someone who was always on the edge of a buzz, clinging less and less to sobriety. No offense to alcoholics, I'm sure there are some efficient, perfectly functional ones. Subtly, more so I hope. I started to walk by his desk right after he'd taken a sip, but never once did I smell even the faintest scent of booze. Coffee, sure, something stale and slightly acrid, like burnt sweetener, but never the distinctly pungent scent of alcohol. As far as I was concerned, the man was clean. Something else but the coffee was making him physically wince and go misty-eyed with every sip I was determined to find out what. There was no coffee maker at our office. The company could easily afford to give us each our own. Our manager had a very flashy, assuredly expensive one in his office, but they never supplied the employees with one in our break room. And while I can't speak for everyone, I've decided to never shell out the 20 or so bucks to buy a cheap coffee maker to save everyone the trouble because I know that's exactly what the company wants us to do. too much of a spiteful, petty person to let them win this virtually non-existent squabble. So I make my coffee at home. The point behind all this is that one day, I thought of a plan to find out once and for all what the hell was in my co-worker's cringe-inducing coffee. Leaving my coffee mug in the car... After having gulped down the throat-searing brew, of course, I came into work and said aloud very close to him, "'Damn it! I forgot my coffee!' He'd just been in the process of taking a sip from his mug, presumably the first of the day. My little practiced outburst stopped him, and before his lips could touch the cup, I followed my little performance up with, "'Would you mind if I had a tiny sip of yours?' just to start the day." I motioned toward the water cooler, on which sat little plastic cups, showing that I wouldn't even have to infringe upon the surface area of his cup with my stranger's lips. He stared at me for a moment, inscrutably and silently, and then looked to his cup, intently, as if staring into a depth far greater than that of the 16-ounce container. Finally, after what had to have been six seconds of weird, uncomfortable silence, he nodded, almost solemnly, as a priest might upon pondering the legitimacy of a frequent sinner's claim of contrition. Barely containing my morbid excitement, I went and retrieved one of the plastic cups and set it before him, as if pouring a sacramental drop to further the Catholic analysis. Was a genuine air of reverence in how he gently tipped his mug toward the cup to let the black, steaming liquid stream out. Once done, he returned the lid to his mug and slid the plastic cup back to me. I took it, thanked him profusely and sincerely. My curiosity had reached its boiling point, and returned to my desk. I didn't look back at him upon arriving, but I knew that he was watching as casually as I could manage. Given my palpable excitement, I brought the cup to my lips and took a small sip. The experience was unlike anything I could have ever imagined, and upon regaining my composure, I found myself shocked, profoundly amazed, at how my co-worker had so routinely imbibed the liquid, with only a grimace or shudder after the base fundamental element was coffee, yes, a dark roast without sugar or cream, strongly brewed. But the overall drink's potency, its primary effect, was owed not to the caffeine but to the other element, the thing with which the drink had been spiked. I was not immediately made aware of this singular ingredient and at the moment could only guess, with hilarious inaccuracy, At its nature. But I knew before being told later that it wasn't something you'd find in any store and neither was it procurable through any legal means or channels. As my co-worker had done so many times before, I recoiled from it as if I had instead sipped boiled poison. Its basic taste was not necessarily accurate, but more so slimy and ill-textured offensive to the palate in multiple ways, none of which I can sufficiently describe. But what I can describe, what I can, strangely, give a clear account of, is the resultant feeling, the physical discomfort and mental disclarity of its consumption. The immediate sensation elicited was one of mental displacement. Swallowing the substance brought an abrupt shift in my sense of equilibrium, not dissimilar to missing a step when descending a staircase. That brief, panic-inducing sense of weightlessness, wherein you feel as if you've been betrayed by either the architecture of the building or gravity itself. Following on the heels of this was a mounting sense of dread seemingly sourceless, though nonetheless powerful and nerve-firing. I felt the ominous, cataclysm-auguring approach of something the imminent arrival of a thing or entity whose sole and dark-hearted purpose was the end of all terrestrial life. And not just on Earth, but on every biologically inhabited space in the cosmos. This dread and cosmic anxiety soon gave way to a pitch-black, soul-dampening despair as I became assured that nothing, no power on Earth, would be able to stop the arrival of this ultra mundane presence. In a deeply worrying cardiac event, my heart rate climaxed, and then reversed to a glacial, murmurous slowness, I suddenly felt wrapped up in an invisible, anger inducing web, to await the predatory encroachment of its unhuman weaver. My mind was then filled with visions, fleeting, nebulous, and largely indescribable in their imagery, but carrying the same import of an unavoidable doom. Flashes of lightless gulfs, endlessly imploding voids, vast basins filled with volcanic shadows, titanic shards of obliterated worlds floating listlessly in the black vacuity of outer space, all omening some ultimate undoing of life. And through it all, present amidst every abysmal vista, ubiquitous among the horrific scenery, was a figure, sometimes appearing as a solid, tangible thing, and other times as a warped, amorphous fragment of some ultra-human body, a nightmarish memory of something too horrible to maintain a composite form. And then, just as abruptly as it had come, the feeling left me. The dread and despair and awful, unplacatable sorrow melted away, and I was back at work, sitting calmly, suddenly instilled, with a deep sense of clarity, of peacefulness. I looked into the cup and saw my normal face reflected back at me. I was sure I would see a terror-stricken, despair befallen expression, but my face was relaxed. My expression defeated someone who had moments ago been told they'd no longer need to worry about some previously confounding problem. My co-worker's hand fell on my shoulder, and looking up at him, I saw that same expression of total serenity. He smiled and told me to find him after work. He then returned to his desk, and we separately attended our tasks for the day. The day ended, and as he had said, I found him waiting outside of the entrance to the building. He told me to follow him home and, without asking why, I complied. I knew immediately that there was more to the peculiar coffee, that the sordid, ineffable half-images and suggestions I'd witnessed in my mind held a greater significance. He pulled into his driveway and I parked along the road, not expecting to be there for long. He waited for me to exit my car and then gestured for me to follow him to the garage. First, looking around furtively, he motioned for me to stand next to him and then typed the door's code into the keypad. The garage began to open, and just when it had risen to about chest level, he gripped me by my shoulders, pulled me down, and flung me inside. I barely managed to get my hands up and prevent myself from falling face first onto the dusty concrete. I heard him clamber in behind me, then reversal of the garage's motion boomed within the confined space. When it had finally closed, he helped me to my feet and apologized before I could come up with a complaint. It's better to enter from this way, to see it up front for the first time. Without the evening light from outside, the garage was completely dark, and my co-worker told me to wait a moment while he turned on a light. I expected it either the dim, barely luminous glow of a cheap bulb or the harsh, bug-attracting brilliance of the floodlight. But instead, an eerie crimson light filled the room, casting a sanguine gloom upon everything. The objects immediately near me were ordinary, a rusted mountain bike and a pump for its tires, a few unlabeled moving boxes, gardening tools, hung on rubber hooks affixed to the left wall, a long metal chest against the right wall, Probably containing fishing or hunting equipment. But in stark contrast to these mundane suburban items was the thing against the far wall of the garage, above which was situated the blood tinged light. To put it plainly, it was a head. A massive, extremely rotted head. The sheer enormity of it was what I first noticed. It spanned the entire back of the wall of the garage, lying on its right cheek facing us. It was intermittently lumpy from its cratered scalp to the tunnel-like stub of its neck, with the left temple almost touching the ceiling. Its skin, sallow and leprous, was taut against the skull, the physiognomy wholly unidentifiable. The second thing I noticed, and was deeply appalled, the advanced state of its decomposition. But not just that, but how it seemed, despite this, to live. Its moldered, or rather perpetually moldering, skin pulsated, pustules and gangrenous lumps throbbing hideously, undergoing an impossible inflammation. The severity of its sickness, the undeniable certainty of its death, coupled with these contradictory signs of life, reminded me of one of the more solid glimpses of that delirium-haunting figure, and I realized that I was looking at the real physical form of that gulf traversing emissary. The despair priest, or preacher, whichever you prefer. He appeared in my garage one day while I was watching that old TV. I'd been in a really good mood, and had just finished watching a live stream of mass from my church back home. Hadn't found a local one yet. Well, I guess my moment of triumph spirituality caught this thing's attention. It appeared right there, simply manifested it, as if it had teleported from some other place. In my back then its face hadn't yet decayed. It was still dying, but there was more life than death in it. I was, of course, terrified, scared out of my mind, and all the joy and love for the Lord bled out of me in an instant. Dread washed over me, but the most bizarre thing was how good it felt. If that makes sense, it was intoxicating. The scale of my hopelessness somehow enthralled me. The way he spoke about the experience was almost nostalgic, and I felt my body begin to prepare for some kind of fight-or-flight state. His face, serene and pallid, looked deathly in the sanguine light, like a corpse reposed in an alcove within a torch-lit tomb. Not knowing how to respond, I just said, huh? He nodded, a sorrowful smile spreading across his face, and then continued, I sensed that it was dying. I would have known even if I hadn't been able to see the I was also somehow made aware of the fact that its purpose was to spread this dread, to fill people with a horrible, terrible despair whenever it could find them. The dead priest, evangelizing the cosmos with imitations and images of hopelessness and naivety. But it was dying. It couldn't fulfill this mantle completely. Had it been a little healthier, a little less eroded by rot it would have succeeded in rapturing me. I would have succumbed to the irremediable despair and left to die, probably, either through self-neglect or malnutrition or self-termination, but eventually I snapped out of it and left the garage. But the feeling still lingered, tiny, sore-tipped hooks that had been embedded in my psyche, Happiness and optimism returned to me eventually, and initially these feelings were more potent than they had ever been before. I felt exultant in my praise for God, joyous in my existence. But these intensities quickly faded, and I was left ejected and glum. I didn't want to admit it at first, but I knew I'd have to eventually return to it, that I'd have to eventually expose myself again to that undying thing so that I could immerse myself in its unwholesomeness and radiation in order to feel the subsequent spiritual ecstasy of its absence. It was a monstrous and darkly fantastic story, and I stared at the thing with a new level of disgust. It had come from some far-flung domain of space to spread despair, to bring civilizations to ruin not with cosmic violence or, by the annihilation of the dominant species, but through an emission of volatile hopelessness, a pervasive broadcast of moral futility. Having an idea, but needing to confirm it, I asked that unspeakable, darkly relevatory question. What does this have to do with the coffee? My co-worker pulled his mug from his pocket. I had noticed he'd been carrying it with him, and went over to the ghoulish head. "'casually, as if it were a drink dispenser, "'he put his cup under one of the ever-seeping pores "'until the black slime filled it to the brim. "'Then, without a moment of hesitation, "'he brought the mug to his lips and took a sip. "'His revulsion was more powerful than I'd ever seen, "'and he lingered longer than usual "'in that state of despondent reflection. "'But he soon recovered.' Dump the rest into the eyeless socket, abreast with his shoulder. I only add a little to my coffee in the morning. If I were to drink a whole cup of this, I'd surely lose myself to that awful sorrow, if it didn't outright kill me due to some kind of toxicity at high dosages. But yeah, that's it. I add a little to my coffee, suffer through that microdose of despair, and then spend the rest of the day feeling pretty damn good i have to take a sip here and there. Sure, periods can vary in length. But I'd say it's still better than just enduring life as it is, you know? Even with religious optimism, life can really suck. Some days it's almost intolerably hard to get up and go to work and exist. Or at least this way I'm chasing the state harmless optimism and positivity rather than some ever-dwindling state of normalcy. It's even helped me feel closer to God, if you can believe it. While I doubted the final part of his claim, I saw the sense in the rest of it. It had felt good after the clearing of the despair, though I was already feeling a little low, a little deprived of my intoxicant induced joy. I had so many questions Why keep it? Why not show the authorities or scientists or try to destroy it? But as the seconds ticked by and I smelled the weird, not-right scent of its ceaseless decomposition, I knew that I would have refrained from showing anyone else as well. I wanted another taste, crave the post-trauma clarity and elation. My co-worker had been granted a warped miracle, Had the same been done to me, I wouldn't have told a soul. Sensing my desire, he told me to wait there and then went into the house. A few moments later, he returned bearing two cups of steaming coffee. I keep my coffee maker set to brew up a batch in time with my arrival home. I like to stick to a routine with this stuff. He brought both cups under two separate streams of this sickeningly slushy liquid, only for a moment, and then withdrew them. "'their surfaces tinged with deeper darkness than before. "'Smiling, he extended a cup to me, "'and I accepted the Stygian mix "'like a dying man accepting his last rites. "'Together we drank, despaired, "'and afterward, danced.' I hope you enjoyed Dark Roast by Weird Bryce Guy as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed what you've heard, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author can be found by visiting our website. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash weird slash Bryce slash guy. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash w e i r d. Dash B-R-Y-C-E Dash G-U-Y Go on and take the first step toward Nightmare. A collection of his works available on Amazon. Or if you can't find them on No Sleep, you can find all sorts of new material under his Reddit handle of the same name. If you do decide to stop by the profile, please leave him a kind word and let him know you heard about him here on this show and that Otis sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. As a reminder, if you decide to give tonight's talented author stories a read, please consider leaving him a quality review and a kind word, or a thoughtful public comment and an upvote, and be sure to let him know you heard about him here on this program, and that Otis sent you. It means more to me than you can imagine, and I'm sure that he would very much appreciate it as well. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me on this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as five bucks a month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me as well on YouTube at the Otis Gyre channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to, oh my god, 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Gyre. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep, if you can. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories, told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts network. Visit simplyscarypodcasts.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, the Otis Jiry channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at Otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review in a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me, You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at chillingtalesfordarknights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday With more terrifying tales to keep you up all night, but that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway?